coffee and some quiche and some warm bread out in the foyer. If you either want something to eat or drink. All right, I'll magnify the Lord.
Good morning, everyone. Oh, we could do better than that. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I would like to take this time to wish all the mothers and the men a happy Mother's Day. I think the men should enjoy it too in serving their wives. Yes, we should. Kind of selfish too, but that's another story. Just um, give it unto God, who's the author and finisher of our faith, to the minister on the roster, to all of you, my father's children. I'd like to take this time to welcome you to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to enjoy Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Now, you have a QR code on the front of your pamphlet. I would like to take, please take the time to connect with all our online information about our church. The giving, the giving and tithes and offering along with our social media platform all in one place. Guests, please click on the menu item for the first time guests. At the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offering is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of our church online, or you may mail a check to our address, 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. Or after service, you may drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. There's a box back there where you can drop it off. Today, after worship, 11 a.m., Goodson Village Group meets, at in, may, I'm sorry, meets in church house. This week, Tuesday, May 16th, Women's Fellowship, time to, I'm sorry, at 5.30 p.m., Women's Fellowship time, followed by Bible study in the church house. We also have Thursday, May 18th, 7 a.m., which we're part of, Shipman Men's Group at Just Love Coffee. 5 p.m. Men's Group in the church house for the Goodmans Men's Group. Saturday, 8 a.m., Work day at Lincoln Village Ministries. Saturday, 8 a.m., work day at Lincoln Village Ministries. Saturday, 8 a.m., work day at Lincoln Village Ministries. I hope you guys got that. Um, next Sunday, May 21st, Promotion Sunday. Woohoo! Yes, we do. It's a great moment for us. Um, at 9 a.m., worship service with communion. 11 a.m., Next Sunday, Teague's Village Group in the church house, Bricker Village Group in the fellowship hall. 6 p.m., leadership training. That's only May 21st. Now, we have a save the date. A save the date for Juneteenth. Saturday, Juneteenth starts at 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. I'm going to repeat that. June 17th for our Juneteenth celebration will start from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Cook will begin, cooking will be, begin at 9.30. We will need the usual help of putting up tables and shades, as well as wrapping and packing food. Please contact Lyle, the Master Lee, for more details. Please contact Lyle Lee for more details. Thank you, and have a great weekend. These are your announcements. Please govern yourselves accordingly. Amen. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room. Both uh, 
spiritual, adoptive, and uh, physical, biological mother. So a lot of us are uh, spiritual mothers to people and we've never birthed children. And many of us are adoptive mothers to children as well. So any way that you feel the mothering role, I hope you have a blessed day. Um, this is one of those songs where I mean, every song we sing in, in here is a point of focus to um, help us engage our hearts and our minds. But this is one that specifically just talks about, you know, God being our strength. It says, you are my strength when I'm weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. And Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. So sing this song is just a, a, a point of focus, a place to fix your eyes this morning uh, as we prepare our hearts and our minds for worship.
our call to worship. It comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 18, verses 1 through 3a and verse 30. Please join with me where it notes people. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Amen.
Good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? Good morning, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. All the mothers. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, there was a little kid. His name was Chris, and Chris was 
sitting at a computer. He's about five years old, and it's the first time he starts sitting. He's working at a computer. And so he's playing on the computer and all kinds of things he's finding out he can do. So he looks up at his mom, and he says, Mom, why are computers so smart? And the mother say, they listen to their motherboard. (laughs) 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 And pretty much, I mean, when you think about it, all of us are here because of our moms. I mean, my mom, I know I'm here because of my mom. She's done so much. And if, we're, if it wasn't our mom, it was someone that was actually a mom to us. So I just want to just take this time to just thank all the mothers, my mom and all the mothers in the world, because the reason why we are here today is because of them. So I thank them. Uh, we're going to go ahead and have our prayer of praise, and I'm just going to take this time to thank God for giving us the mothers that he has given us. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you and just honor you for being so wise to give us the mothers that you have, the ones that have just been so intricate in helping us to navigate our way through our lives, even though we may not have been us uh, really quick to listen to them or uh, to take time out to take their advice, they have still with compassion done everything they could to make sure that we were successful. And a lot of our mothers uh, who are in the faith have always tried to guide us to make sure that our salvation was solid. So we just want to thank you for all the mothers that you have put in our lives and all the mothers that have been uh, mothers to us even though they didn't have to so we just thank you and praise you dear lord in jesus name amen all right we're going to have our confession of sin and it actually comes from psalms 18 and 6 in my distress i called upon the lord to my god i cried for help let's take this time for a silent meditation and cry out silently for help that we need so we'll take a few minutes for a silent meditation you had to take a little extra time because I need a little extra help I don't know about you guys <laughs> all right our assurance of pardon uh, comes from uh, Psalms 1830 this God his way is perfect the word of the Lord proves true he is a shield for all those who take refuge and shelter in him Uh, Thank you, Jesus, uh, for your assurance of pardon. 
If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of the scriptures? We will be reading from John 4, verses 1 through 26. And if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me silently. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria, Samaria called Sachar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he uh, was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The word you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that, uh, that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
the daylight flees. Now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head. Curtain torn in two, dead or raised to life. Finish the victory cry. Let the Security, 
and their significance because their kids are sinners and they are going to let them down. I pray that they would be able to rest in who they are as beloved daughters of a good father. And that's the place they would go to find all their value, all of their worth, all of their identity, all of their peace, all of their hope, all of their rest will be found in knowing that in Jesus, they are enough. They are enough. And I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. In the movie Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and her dog Toto are caught up in a tornado and lands, that lands her house in the magical land of Oz. And they are no longer in Kansas. They're stuck and lost in Oz, which with no possible way of getting back home. But her hopelessness turns to joy when she learns about a great wizard who can help her and maybe help her get back home. So Dorothy and the friends that she makes are set out on a journey. They travel the yellow brick road towards the Emerald City in order to meet the great wizard of Oz. She travels the, the yellow brick road with expectation. If you ever seen the movie, she has expectation that this wizard has the power to get her back home. Similar to Dorothy is a is is the woman in John chapter four verses one through twenty six. She too is caught up in a tornado. She is lost and stuck in Oz, not in some magical land, for this Oz is her own life, which is going to change. You see, she too is going to travel a, a yellow brick road, but she's not going to an a emerald city, but she's going to Jacob's well. And there she's going to meet a man unlike any other man she has ever met in her whole life. Who is this man at the well? That's the title of this sermon, The Man at the Well. He's no wizard, I can tell you that. He's not Gandalf, I can tell you that. But he's someone greater. So please pray with me for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, I, I pray that you will minister to our minds and to our hearts. You know what I need to hear. You know what those who are in the sanctuary need to hear and those who may be tuning in online, you know what they need to hear. You know us. And I even pray for those who are here and tuning in who don't have faith in Christ that maybe today they will see their need and be convicted and repent and come to Jesus and save themselves. My prayer is that you will give each of us what we need from this message. You would do it for the glory of Jesus and for our good. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Who is the man at the well? It's Jesus. And the passage today tells us so. But the woman in the passage doesn't know that. She doesn't have that information. She's clueless about the, the man, this man and his true identity. He's just some out-of-place Jewish man to her. Some average Joe just sitting alone at the well. I know it sounds weird, right? 
Might even look a little creepy. This man sitting at the well, this woman coming along to the well. Don't look good, right? But trust me, it's not. Jesus is not a predator, and Jesus is not an abuser. Remember, he's, he's unlike any other man she has ever encountered in her life. He different. He different. Now, how does Jesus end up being the man at the well? What are the events that, that are set that set into motion this encounter between a Samaritan woman and a Jewish man? These events take uh, takes place in the Judea Judean countryside, which is east of Jerusalem, and descends into the Dead Sea. In John chapter three, Jesus and his disciples leave Jerusalem to minister in the countryside. While in Judea, Jesus teaches the people, and his disciples are baptizing many people. Ministry is going well. Okay, it's going well. No issues, no drama, no conflict until a particular group of people show up. And these group of people, they always appear out of nowhere in order to get on Jesus' nerves, to question his authority, to question his ministry. And we know who they are. They're the Pharisees, the thorn in his side. Listen to what the message Bible says in John 4, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus realizes that the Pharisees are keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed, Although his disciples did the baptisms and not him, they're posting the score that Jesus is ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. Jesus leaves the Judean countryside and decides to go back to Galilee. He's not going to be part of that little game. So he and the disciples, they, they leave heading back to Galilee, which is 70 miles from where they are. And they're going to have to do this on foot. There's no Uber. No taxi cab, no lift, no public transportation. Transportation. They are going to have to walk all those miles. It's going to take two and a half days to get to Galilee. Verse 5 tells us that Jesus has to pass through Samaria on his journey. The Samaria is between Judah in the south and Galilee in the north. And the route through Samaria is the typical and the shortest route travelers use to get back and forth. But is that the only reason why Jesus takes the shortest route. The Greek verb that's translated had to pass through can also be translated, it is necessary. It is necessary for Jesus to pass through Samaria. Several commentators believe Jesus has a, an inward constraint to do so, a must need. You see, Jesus takes the shortest route through Samaria because it's practical and because there's a higher work, there's higher design at work too. There's a higher purpose. And this higher design is not karma, it's not fate, it's not chance. It's a divine necessity. Jesus does nothing by accident. That's an amen statement. His providence is not accident. God's providence is leading Jesus and his disciples as they head out on foot, walking north and route to Galilee. So please know, adults and young people, and whatever God's doing in your life, it's not by accident. It's not by faith, and it's not by karma. He's doing it for a reason. So after walking 40-plus miles, they stop in a Sumerian town called Sakar. And this town is located near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph, and Jacob's well is also there. So Jesus and his disciples are standing by this well, tired, 
weary and hungry from their journey. Remember, 40 plus miles. 40 plus miles. And eventually the 12 decide, well, we're hungry. We're going to go into town to get some food. But Jesus decides to stay behind. Is that by accident? Is that by karma? Is that by chance? No. He doesn't go with them. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus is weary and tired and worn out from the trip. He's fatigued and thirsty. He's fatigued and thirsty. He's, he, a tired Jesus sits down beside the well to rest. It, the text says it's about the sixth hour. That's, the, that's noontime, the hottest part of the day. And what's the point of these details? Why share them? These details show us that the man at the well is human. Like you. These details show us that the humanity of the man at the well. These details show us that Jesus knows from personal experience what it feels like for the sun to suck the energy right out of you. He knows what that feels like. He knows from personal experience what it feels like to be weary and tired and thirsty and hungry. He knows what it feels like to need a break and to rest. He knows what it feels like to be us. Take a moment and, and let those words comfort you and bless you. Because they, they, sh they should communicate to you there's nothing that you are going through that Jesus hasn't already went through. And he can have empathy and compassion for you in whatever it is that you're going through. The man at the well knows the struggle is real. Amen, Pastor. He knows what it's like trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents, right? He knows what it's like to be misunderstood by your family. He knows what it's like to have friends abandon you in your darkest hour of need. He knows what it's like to, to be on the receiving end of an unjust legal system. He knows what it's like to, to be betrayed by someone you have welcomed into your center or your circle of trust. Someone's feet you also wash. He knows what it's like for someone to stick a knife so deep in your back that it hurts. He knows what it feels like to suffer great pain. The man at the well knows us. And he empathizes with us. And he has compassion on us. Just like he does with the woman en route to Jacob's well to draw water. Let's not forget about her. Let's not look past her or through her. We can't gloss over her life and, and her story. She's walking from her village, let's say, on a yellow brick road, heading to Jacob's well, alone. And that's odd. For women in this culture, we usually travel in groups to draw water. In the morning or in the evening when it's cooler, not in the, hot, not in the hottest part of the day. But this sister intentionally chooses to come to the water, to the well to draw water in the hottest part of the day when she knows there's probably no one else going to be there. Why? Is it because she has unhealthy relationships with the other women in her village? Maybe. Or is it because she's kind of like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz, caught up in the tornado, lost and stuck in Oz, not some magical kingdom, but a prison of her own creation? Her life. Let's put it this way. It could be her truth. That's a popular term today in our culture. Her truth. She's living her truth. 
But here's the thing. That truth has imprisoned her. The very truth she's living, she doesn't own. It owns her. Just like some of us. We're not truly living our so-called truth. We're trapped in it. Now, who is this woman walking to the well? Verse 7 reveals her ethnic identity. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, a Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water. She's a Samaritan. That She's biracial. She's part Jew and, and part Gentile. And her only plans for this day is to draw water and go home. Don't you, all, don't you also have plans for your day that Jesus interrupts? Plans for your life that he interrupts? And that's what's getting ready to happen to her. She's not expecting to meet a Jewish man at a well in Samaria. This meeting, again, isn't karma, it's not faith, it's not chance. It's divine sovereignty. It's a divine appointment for God's glory and her good. Picture her, picture her journey for a moment. I want you to try to visualize it. The, the Samaritan woman, she leaves her home. She, then she's walking on this yellow brick road to the well. And, and as she gets closer, she, she notices there's a figure sitting on the ground beside the well. Now, she can't make up the figure because her vision is blurry. It could be the sunlight is all in her eyes. But her vision becomes clearer and clearer as she gets closer to the well. And, and she soon realizes this person is a man. Some man she's never seen before. Not just any man, but this is a Jewish man standing beside a well in Samaria. She sees him sitting on the ground, but she doesn't engage him. Doesn't speak to the man at the well. Doesn't give him the nice southern wave. You know, we all know the southern wave. Don't even make eye contact. We just wave. Doesn't give him the head nod. She's there to simply draw water. Not to make friends. Because she wanted to make friends, she would have went with the other women later on in the day. Not to engage in small talk. Not for social interaction. She wants to draw water without any contact with another human being. That's what she's doing. And then there's this awkward silence between them. She's not going to break it. For she knows Jews have no dealings with Gentiles. So why would she break the silence with this Jewish man who seems to be culturally out of place? Well, the silence at the well continues until Jesus breaks. So he's, that's, 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 that's Jesus doing it. He always takes the initiative. He breaks the silence, and it surprises her, and it catches her off guard. Does Jesus ever surprise you? Does he ever catch you off guard in the ways he moves in your life? Or do you think you got him figured out? Come off down off your high horse. A Jewish man engages a Samaritan woman, and he does so by asking her for help. He asks her for help. He asks her, would you give me a drink? Jesus is worn out by the trip. He's sitting down because he's tired and, and he's thirsty, and he asks for help because what? He doesn't have a bucket to draw water from the well. Now, he could have got a bucket before he left Judea. Because you know he knew he was going to stop at the well, so why did he get the bucket before he left? Is it karma? Is it chance? Is it, is it fate? Or is it providence? It's providence. He knows what he's doing. 
the man at the well doesn't have a bucket to draw water. You have Jesus Christ who is in need because he's thirsty. He has a physical need for thirst. He needs water because the man at the well is fully, fully, fully human. So this Jewish man who is in need of water, he asked the Samaritan woman, can you help me? Feeling all these emotions and shock, the Samaritan woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, will ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She doesn't understand. It's hard to, to wrap her mind around what Jesus is requesting her. For she knows that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She knows about the historical tension between the two groups of people. So why are you asking me for help, man? Don't you know this is socially unacceptable for you, a Jewish person, to be asking me for help? Here we see Samson guess. The man at the well is different. He humbles himself before her, crosses over racial, cultural, gender barriers of the day, and in fact, he breaks them down. Okay, where's my sign? Where's my sign? Where's my sign? Jesus crosses over racial barriers, cultural barriers, and gender barriers of the day. He breaks them down. Does he do that? And he still does that. And when he does that, he disarms her in the process. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God, and who is it that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What do y'all think Jesus is talking about here? He's making a distinction between physical thirst and spiritual thirst. That's what he's doing. The man at the well knows that this lady has a thirst that the water from Jacob's well would never satisfy. And the same is true for many of us. Some of us are drinking water from wells that would never satisfy the deepest thirst of our hearts and souls. I don't care how much you drink of it. It ain't ever going to satisfy. Listen, y'all, the man at the well offers a different kind of water. It's living water, the kind of water that the woman at the well doesn't fully understand yet. She takes Jesus literally, and she assumes he's talking, she's, that he's talking about actual water. Look at verses 11 and 12. She says to the man at the well, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well. He drank from it himself, as did his son and his life. The answer to her question is yes. The man at the well is greater than her father Jacob. The man at the well doesn't need a bucket to draw the water that he's able to freely give. For the living water he's offering does not come from a well built by human hands. He says to her, whoever drinks of the water from Jacob's well will thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you want to drink this water? Not talking about your neighbor, your family member, or your co-worker. I'm talking about you. Do you want this water? The Samaritan woman wants it. She longs to taste of the kind of water that will satisfy her physical thirst. 
He says, sir, give me this water so that I would not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Do you see the excitement in her words? She's like, I'm here for this. She, she still thinks she's, he's going to satisfy her physical thirst. But the man at the well is not offering that type of water. She will have to come back the next day to draw water from Jacob's well in the days after. Because the water he's offering is spiritual. See, the man at the well is offering a spiritual and supernatural water. This water that would satisfy the deeper thirst of her heart and her soul. You have those deeper thirst, right? Don't you thirst for purpose, acceptance, forgiveness, joy, love, connection, peace, significance, security, salvation, value, self-worth, dignity? You thirst for those things. And the wells that you're going to, you're trying to get those water in those wells to give you those things. But Jesus saying, I'm the only one, baby. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I don't care how old or how younger you, young you are, you are looking for these things in life. You want purpose. You want acceptance. You want forgiveness. You want love. You want connection. You want peace. You want significance. You want security. You want value. You want dignity. You want self-worth. That's why we went to college that we go to. That's why we do the jobs we got. That's why we have the things that we have in our life because we're trying to fill those things to fill these things here. And what Jesus is saying, I'm the only one. His water, the living water, will become in you a wellspring, that spring of water that wells up to eternal life. Do you want it? Are you spiritually dehydrated? You can still be a Christian and be spiritually dehydrated because you're still going to other wells. Are you spiritually dehydrated? Do you even know? Now, back at Jacob's well, the woman, Samaritan woman, just asked Jesus to give her this living water so that she will not be thirsty again, physically thirsty again, ever. But, but Jesus' response to her, it feels a little odd. I don't know if you've ever read this before and reflected upon it, but it seems a little out of place. It, it appears, is Jesus out of order? He, he doesn't grant her request. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, go call your husband and come here. Wait, what? Like, I thought we were talking about water. Go call your husband and come back here. How does Jesus' request make you feel? If it was any other person but Jesus saying that, how would it make you feel? So many questions, right? Why does she have to go get her husband? Is she not capable of receiving this water about the presence of a man? Is Jesus centering men over women here? Jesus' request here has nothing to do with gender or gender roles, but it has everything to do with the way she's living her life. It has nothing to do with gender or gender roles, but it has everything to do with the way she's living her life. Jesus enters into her truth with this request. He enters into her eyes in order to set her free. Jesus isn't a wizard, but he's a savior and redeemer. He knows she has a past. He knows the lifestyle she's living. 
The Samaritan woman is stuck in a cycle of hopping from well to well, laboring hard to find that one well of water that will satisfy the deepest thirst of her heart and soul. Listen, saints, Jesus isn't the only one at the well tired. He's not the only one that's tired. She's tired. She's thirsty and she's weary. That's the issue in her life. There's, there's brokenness in, in the truth that she's been living. She's actually trying to drink water from broken systems. What about us? What about me? What about you? This ain't just for non-Christians. This is for Christians too. And here's the thing, y'all. Jesus walks around the backyard of your life before giving you this living water. He walks around the backyard in your life. Do you know why he's walking around your backyard? He's looking for broken systems. So in the backyard of your life, where are the broken systems you drink from? Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, what are they? Please don't look at or look at other people or the people around you and talk about look at ourselves. All of us have dug in our life broken systems and that we're drinking from trying to get purpose, security, fulfillment, identity, peace, and hope. And you know what Jesus says to you? Go get it and come here. Go get it and come Go get it. Go get that well. Go get that broken system and come back here. You can put up a fence around your life, but it would not keep Jesus out of your backyard. Like if you want Jesus to be your Savior, then he gonna get, he's going to get over that fence too. He's going to get in your backyard, and it's going to be uncomfortable because no matter how long you've been a Christian, he's going to always be recovering. Hey, that's another broken system you didn't know about. That's another broken system. You're never going to get to a place where he doesn't reveal this stuff to you. But he reveals it to you for your good. So he's in the backyard of her life, and he says, go, call your husband and come here. And she answers, I have no husband. Boom, conversation over, right? She has put the man at the well in his place. She corrects him about his wrong assumptions about her. But the man at the well is no fool. He's not making wrong assumptions. The man at the well is in full control of the conversation. He says, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Wow. That's something else. So if I'm this woman, I'm like, so let me get this straight. You asked me to go get a husband while no, I don't have one. Like, what kind of game are you playing, Jewish man? What's happening here? You're asking me questions you already know the answer to. What, what, what's happening here? Jesus is not playing games with her. Nor is he looking down on her, nor is he shaming or guilting her. He's simply uncovering a broken system in her life. She is trying to satisfy those, the deep thirst of her heart and soul through dysfunctional, unhealthy relationships with men. Relationships are good, but they cannot be the center of your joy. Marriage is good, but it cannot be the center of your happiness. Because another image bearer can't be your joy. 
can't be your ministry. It's not the lane. So she's hopping from man to man, but never satisfying her deepest thirst. And the current relationship that she's in isn't going to satisfy that thirst either. So here's the thing, y'all. Whatever or whoever you're using to be the center of your happiness and your purpose and your security has become a broken system in your life. And broken systems can be good things and bad things. They can be religious things and secular things. They can be moral things and immoral things. It can be ministry work and non-ministry work. It can be healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships. Whatever, whoever your heart has attached itself to for peace, outside of Jesus, is your broken system. So what has your heart? St. Augustine says our hearts are restless until they find rest in Jesus. Hebrews to saints and guests, what are you going to do with whoever or whatever the spirit is convicting you of at this moment? Some of us have been exposed. And what are we going to do with that? You will be tempted to deflect. See, many of us are highly skilled in the art of deflection. You're very skilled at it. You know how to avoid answering a charge by misdirecting, confusing the issue. You know how to change the subject. We know how to shift the blame. And the woman at the well, that's what she does. She tried to do that with the man at the well. She deflates her tension away from herself by bringing up a religious controversy. Look at verses 19 and 20. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good perception. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that is in Jerusalem. It's a place that people ought to worship. Do you see what she did? So she completely changed the subject. And Jesus is gracious. She says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jewish people. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Then she, he says to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus says, I who speak to you in heaven. I who speak to you. Jewish man in the well is not just a man, not just human. He is Messiah. He is Emmanuel. He is God in the flesh. But do we believe? Do we believe? You see, the man at the well dies on a cross in order to meet the greatest thirst of your soul. That's what he does. He pays the full price to give you this water, this living water that he's offering, you only get it by, by his death. He bears the wealth of God. We sung about the power of the cross, his wounds, by his wounds, our, we, our sins are, are forgiven and, our, and, and we are healed by his stripes. And, and again, he dies in your place. His death, death could not hold him down. The res- he resurrects from the tomb three days later 
And without the cross, there is no resurrection. And without the resurrection, the cross accomplishes nothing. Paul says Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So if you want that deep thirst of your heart and soul satisfied, then you're going to have to come to the man of the world. Point blank. Kids, youth, you ain't ever, ever going to find the fulfillment, security, and rest that you want outside of Jesus. You never will. Please don't let this go in one out the other. It ain't, that job ain't going to do it. That career ain't going to do it. That stuff ain't going to do it. You're just going to go from well to well to well to well. Yeah, at the end of your days, you're going to be like, I'm still not happy. I still haven't found the peace I'm looking for. And as your pastor, I'm telling you, the peace you're looking for is at the well. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And if you've been a Christian for, for a long time, are you still drinking from Jesus? Or have you wandered and dug other wells in your life? You don't come to faith in Jesus and then go and find things that, that, that replace him with other things. And here's the, this, this is the tension of, of this life. This is why this life will never be what it's going to be. It's because even though you've been saved, you still have other lovers. And guess what? He knows that. That's why there's grace and there's forgiveness. So if you want purpose and you want happiness and you want peace and you want security and you want value and worth, you have to come to the man the well. You have to rest and depend upon him alone for salvation. There's one hymn that says, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. All their guilty stains. Not, not some of them, but all of them. Stephen Curtis Chapman, some of y'all may Grew up watching him, listening to him when you were in college. He has a song called Jesus Will Meet You There. He says, when you think you hit rock bottom and the bottom gives way and you fall into a darkness no words can explain, you don't know how you will make it out alive, Jesus will meet you there. Comforting words, right? But here's the thing. What's, what's, but what's even more comforting is you coming to see that Jesus doesn't meet you where you are because he's already there waiting on you. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? He's there before the woman arrived at the well. He was already there waiting on her. She comes to the well broken, and Jesus is already there. So he's a man at the well. So you come with all your issues, he's already there. All your shame, he's already there. All your guilt, He's already there. All your brokenness, he's already there. All your well hopping, he's already there. All your sin, Jesus is already there. He's a man at the well waiting to embrace you, waiting to accept you, waiting to forgive you, waiting to heal you, waiting to reconcile you back to God. Have you ever thought about it that way? He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. The question is, will we come? Will you come for the first time or will you come for the hundredth time? He's still waiting on you. He's still waiting.
Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the man at the well who can, who can satisfy the deepest thirst of our souls. And I pray that you forgive us for the ways in which we try to fulfill that thirst from things outside of you, even the blessings that you give us. We try to use those to satisfy the deeper thirst of our heart and soul. And so, Holy Spirit, my prayer is that for those who are here who don't know Christ, I pray that you will continue to move and hopefully call this, these individuals into saving faith. And I pray for Holy Spirit for those that here who have been walking with Christ who have faith in him, that you will reveal to us the broken systems in our life. Reveal to us the ways in which we still try to quench our thirst from things outside of him and lead us to a deeper level of repentance. And I pray for all of this in his wonderful name. Saints, y'all, please stand as we close our service. Thanks.